First Samuel 16. Boy, it is heating up out there in the world. It is heating out. The weather is so hot out there. But what we're also seeing is it's not just the weather, is it? Our whole culture seems to be on fire out there. You are all watching the news. Even if you don't watch the news, you're seeing what's going on. You're hearing what's going on at the water cooler. And um, I usually don't like to point anyone (laughs) to social media, but I recently posted a message from my personal friend, uh, Pastor Benny from First Missionary Baptist Church here in Bluffton. And his 10-minute message was a perfect response to what's going on in Dallas and what's going on in all of the United States. Now, first and foremost, I'll I'll sum it up for you if you don't have the time to look at it. He is an African-American pastor of an African-American church, and I've had great conversations with him, and he has really instructed me in some real wise counsel. First and foremost, he says it is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem that's going on in America, and that's going on in the whole world. And he just talks about... As Christians, what our response is to be for all races, for the entire church. He said, Jesus said that blessed are the peacemakers. We should be out there and we should be encouraging and strengthening peace and reconciliation for all sides, for all people. And that perfectly ties into our message here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But before we jump into our text... Sometimes I take it for granted, some of these concepts in the Bible that um, we just kind of all know what's going on. And we're going to have a topic today on spiritual warfare. And what we're seeing in our nation, what we're seeing in the world today, is two worlds colliding. A spiritual world and a practical world. A world of darkness and a world of light. And they are colliding in cosmic battle. But if I say spiritual, people in America, we've been kind of trained in the Western society that spiritual warfare, oh, okay, come on, you're talking like ghosts and goblins and witches, and, and we just have this connotation of it's just this make-believe uh, thing that just it doesn't really exist. Maybe it kind of does, and we really haven't grasped some of these concepts. What does that word spirit even mean? I got the definition straight out of Webster's 1828 version, so we don't have anything tainted by culture. The word spirit is a noun, the root word of spiritus from the Latin or spiro means to breathe or to blow. The primary sense is to rush or to drive. The spirit world is something that we can feel, but we can't see it. Like wind, it, you, you don't really know where it's coming from. It, it just you have a sense of movement. The wind is air, temperatures in air changing, and as it tries to meet an equalization, it'll move wind. Boy, we had a big windstorm come in yesterday. I thought my house was going to blow over. But, and it was a huge, but I couldn't see it. I could see the trees moving, yes. I could see the brush moving. I could see my American flag being blown off of my porch, but I couldn't see the power and what it was coming from. And that is what we're seeing here with this spiritual war, this spiritual realm. There are causes that we see in our life, but we don't often identify what they truly are. And we see that the world is trying to make us think that it's not real, that it's a fantasy. 
again, I, I mentioned, you know, seances and, and demons and guys with pitchforks. And uh, we talk about um, people making a joke out of witchcraft and, and things like that. Like, oh, you know, that's not really real. But if we look at the physical, the practical, the scientists will tell us about things called parallel universes, about quantum mechanics, theoretical physics, about multiple dimensions. Multiple dimensions are multiple realities that exist in the same space, but we can't see it. We live in a a four-dimensional world. We have length, width, breadth, and time. We have depth. We have your, your first dimension... I confuse myself trying to explain this because I'm not a scientist, but it's so relevant. If you have a one-dimensional world, that's my son drawing on a piece of paper. He's, he's writing on that. There's no depth to it. In a two-dimensional world, you have depth. 2D. 3D, that's the world where we live in, but you add time. That's the fourth dimension. Scientists theorize that there could be up to 13, 14 different dimensions, things that we can't see. And you're thinking to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is just kind of getting into... Stuff that, you know, just we can't see it. That, that's not real. But if you think about it, you can't see ultraviolet light. You can't hear high frequencies, yet we know that they exist because we're able to sense them through different instruments. And the world is telling us that there's things like the ghosts around there, and people eat that up. You ever been at, at work, and you're talking to somebody and you mentioned something from the Bible, oh, that, that's just make-believe, I don't believe that. And then all of a sudden they just drop in something like, well, oh, UFOs, those are true though. Oh, ghosts, oh, I definitely believe that. I seen something, I felt something. They're talking about something spiritual, something they can sense, they can feel it, but they can't see it, they don't understand. And somehow, in our culture, we've been able to cast one off as complete fantasy And then, at the same time, believe any other lie that comes along our way when the Bible has been speaking the truths about these alternate realities the whole time. Science is catching up to the Bible and telling us that those things are true. Think about it. Jesus walks through walls after his resurrection. Well, scientists are telling us that there's so much space between our matter, between our atoms, that you can literally pass through a wall if you could get rid of the magnetic fields that are resisting you. Jesus was caught up into heaven. Where did he go? He wasn't space traveling. He was able to go through the veil, the veil of what we see with our eyes, and to go into heaven. We say that heaven is up and hell is down. But what does that really mean? Able to go into these alternate universes, these things that are beyond our comprehension. And again, science is catching up to what the Bible has always said to be true. So let's jump into chapter 16, verse 14. We're going back to King Saul. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. We saw last week that Samuel had anointed King David. He was a little boy, and he has this special anointing from God. And now we see that the Spirit of protection from God is being removed from Saul, kind of like in the book of Job. The devil comes to God in the throne room, and he says, uh, if, if, I, if you remove the protection from Job, he'll curse you. 
and the Lord says, you can do anything but kill him, and he removes what's called a hedge of protection from Job. That's what's happened here to King Saul. The Lord has removed his special protection from Saul. And so this hedge of protection is being removed from Saul. But then it says here something that's very interesting there in verse 14. And it says the Lord sent. But the Lord sent a distressing spirit. And the Lord troubled him. In the King James, it says an evil servant. But the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God can't tempt you with evil. He can't cause you to sin, but he can allow the enemy to take the void that he removes. Now, there's another possibility here, and that is that God has sent Um, an angel of judgment on Saul. I don't believe that's the case. I believe that the Lord has removed the spirit, the special protection from Saul, and that the enemy now is attacking him. And even so, the Lord is limiting the the enemy. The enemy, which his name is Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren. He is a fallen angel. He wants to cause complete destruction. He wants to destroy all of us. He wants to destroy you personally. Now, there's some things to know about, this, about Satan. Satan is not omnipotent. He is not the opposite of God. He's a created being. He can only be in one place at one time. So you may think in your life, oh, Satan is after me. You know, Satan's most likely not interested in you. You and I, all of us, we're not important to him. But he has an entire host, an entire army, that he is sending against us, fallen angels. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. There's something else to know about Satan, something that we forget, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He even looks, he's a, a hypocrite. He's a counterfeit. Sometimes we feel like we're being led by the Lord when actually it's the enemy. That's a, he's against us. And God has a hedge of protection for all believers on us. Each and every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. And greater is he that is in you than is in the world. And so when we look at the news and we see this demonic activity, you cannot tell me that this man there in Dallas was not inspired on one level or another, was not inspired on one level or another by the enemy, by principalities and powers. You cannot tell me that some of these videos that we're seeing of of people with their hands raised being shot like this gentleman was here in Charleston that was arrested, that he's not inspired by the enemy in some manner. You cannot tell me that the destruction that we're seeing in Syria, ISIS, these terrorists that are blowing up themselves and these bombs are not inspired by the enemy. And what we're seeing is worlds colliding, the dark and the light. 
And it's important for us to know that there's an enemy against us. There's an enemy that's against you and he's against your family. He's against anything and anyone that is trying to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the answer to all of this activity. Because Jesus Christ is in absolute control. Saul has turned from the Lord and is only seeking after himself. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, For us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We think sometimes that when we're called to turn away from sin, that somehow we're just limiting, we're just getting our hands out of the cookie jar. Like, like, like smoking marijuana somehow, because God doesn't want us to do that, that we are the ones that are being shortchanged. Because we're called not to be drunk with wine and alcohol, that somehow we're the ones that are being neglected of a good time. There is a complete spiritual war that is against you and is trying to destroy your soul. I mean, the Lord is trying to protect you from that enemy. He's trying to protect you from the one that is trying to manipulate you and destroy you. Have you ever met anyone who was drunk doing something good? Have you ever met somebody who was drunk or seen it where they walk an old lady across the street? A marriage that was improved because of a conversation while somebody was under the influence of alcohol. No, you will not. It is always destruction. And for a moment, think, when you're under the influence of something else, who is the one that is influencing you? If you have no self-control in that moment, who is controlling you? that evening that you blacked out. Unfortunately, I have a history that I have to repent over and that I'm ashamed of. Have you ever had that shameful conversation in the morning? Oh my gosh, if you only knew what you did last night. See, there is a spiritual war that is taking place. Saul is going to experience that. But Saul has chosen not to follow after God. We've been seeing that over the last few chapters. And now the Lord has anointed a special young man. His name is David. A young man. This isn't a doom and gloom sermon. We identify the enemy and then we can identify how we will overcome in our personal lives. In James chapter 4, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You cannot withstand the devil, but Jesus Christ has already overcome him through perfect submission and peace. In the book of Jude, even Michael the archangel did not have an accusation against Satan. He put Jesus between him and the enemy. And we are to do the same. Resist the devil and he will flee from you because of what the Lord is doing in your life. It says here, continuing, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Paul would tell us a lot about that being double-minded, two places at the same time. The war of the flesh and the spirit in each and every one of us that is taking place. Our sin nature that is drawing us to things of destruction. And the Bible says in the book of John that men loved darkness rather than light. We are all like Peter. Without the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ coming into our lives, we would all be warming our hands by the fire of the enemy. Just leave, just leave me alone 
and let me be comfortable. I don't want to be under a spiritual attack. I would be remiss as a servant leader not to tell you that the, those of you that are being inspired to serve God here in this fellowship, the more you serve God, the more attacks you will receive. The harder things will get, but you will be in the eye of a storm. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. These are seasoned fishermen that are with, seen everything on the water, and there they are in a boat, and a huge storm takes place. And this storm has these men terrified that they're all going to die. And in a panic, they're shaking the Lord, waking them, we're going to die, we're going to die. And the Lord wakes up and gives them a rebuke. Oh, you of little faith. Then the Lord rebukes the storm. Everything gets to perfect peace and calm. And he, pra- he just practically falls back to sleep. Unfortunately, we're usually in two camps. We're usually the one that is panicking at all the spiritual warfare. You're looking at social media. You're watching the news on TV. And you're just, the whole sky is falling. The world's falling apart. Brother and sister, I could tell you that from the Bible. We don't need to see these emergencies, these tragedies. I could tell you right now. It's always been that way. Or we're falling asleep at the helm. Everything's fine. I don't have, that's not me. That doesn't involve me. If you proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, you're in the front line of this war. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are all supposed to be prepared. There's a reason why it's so difficult to come to church. There's a reason why it's so difficult to read your Bible and to pray. Because there is a war taking place. And this enemy, he can disguise himself as an angel of light. He'll make you think it's a good idea. Because we have, we have some military men here in this fellowship and, and women. The enemy never wants to tell you where he's at. He's going to hide. He's going to run. He's going to leave traps. He's going to camouflage himself. And he's going to pounce upon you when you least expect it. When you least expect it, that's when he's going to attack you, when you're at the weakest point. If only we crave the Lord like we crave sin. If only we crave the light like we crave the darkness. But the Holy Spirit has come to encourage us. It's very important that we understand this, these worlds colliding to truly understand what's taking place in the rest of this chapter and to understand what's taking place in our world, in our homes, and in our personal lives, our personal walk with the Lord. Life is hard because it's a battleground, because there is a war. It's, yes, it's something that we can't see and we don't know what's taking place, there, there could be a war taking place in this room. And we wouldn't even know if it was in a different dimension, an alternate reality. But reality, none of scientists are telling us that these things are true. The Bible's been saying it for millennia. Again, they're catching up. So let's continue with our dialogue now as Saul is now taking the full brunt of the enemy. In verses 15 through 17. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now commend your servants, command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. 
So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Notice that this command is not from God. This is a bunch of guys sitting around saying, well, how can we deal with this? This guy, Saul's under a spiritual attack. We don't really know what's going on. Well, I got an idea. Let's get some good godly music in here, and that'll help soothe this spirit, this war that's taking place. Saul says, okay, I'll do anything pretty much is what he says. Let's do it. You know, and that's some good practical advice. Your whole atmosphere changes in your home, doesn't it, when you put on worship music just playing on in the background, even if you're a Bible study, even if you're not listening to it, the whole atmosphere changes. This is just a Band-Aid, though. What should he really be doing? He should be repenting to God for his sins and dedicating himself to the Lord. But no, they just want to do a Band-Aid, a quick fix. How can I get rid of this warfare without fully going to God? How can I walk the fine line, do what I want to do, and not receive judgment? There are people I don't, in my life, I don't know, maybe it doesn't happen to you, that believe that I am a religious fanatic because I don't allow things in my home. We only watch certain programming. I have things that are edited. I listen to very little secular music. And the enemy will try and make it seem like, oh, he's a religious person, like a Pharisee. Oh, he just wants to be better than everyone else. No, and it could be further from the truth. I refuse to allow the enemy into my home as much as is humanly possible. I protect my family the best way that I know how, and then even then it's limited. I'm a sinful man like everyone else. And people may look down on you like, oh, you know, poor, that person's not strong enough to withstand. What military man or woman would say, how close can I get to the enemy's camp without dying? Nobody would say that. How little of the enemy can I destroy and still still be strong? No one would ever say that. When you're coming up against an enemy that's trying to destroy you, you either destroy them or they destroy you. They'll teach you that the first day of military training. It's either you or it's them. But the enemy is so good at camouflaging himself that we're kind of like Saul. What kind of little fix can I do? Maybe I'll just start going to church on Sunday. Maybe I'll just read a little bit. Maybe I'll cut out a little bit of what I allow into my home. Brother and sister, as we were reading on Wednesday night, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know, I'm a blue-collar kind of guy. I repeat that a lot, I know. We have easy sayings for dumb people like me. Are you in it to win it? Paul would say that in the New Testament, run the race to win. Some of us are just running the race to try and complete it. And the enemy is like a roaring lion. And if you ever watch those... um, National Geographic, Discovery Channel. When a, li- when a lion, a cheetah, um, hy- any kind of carnivore, when they attack a herd, who do they always get? The slowest and the weakest and whoever's away from the pack. They pick them off first, one by one. Don't, don't be in the back of the pack. Don't be as close to the enemy as you possibly can and get away with it. Because Saul, King Saul, this man who was anointed by God, given every gift of God for victory, has grieved the Holy Spirit. He has chosen not to follow after God. God has removed his special blessing from him, and now he is receiving the full brunt of the enemy. 
And what is his response? Well, I'll listen to Christian radio once in a while. Don't be that. I've done that, unfortunately, in my walk. I've, I've had a lot of stumbles and falls in my short walk with the Lord. I pray that, learn from my mistakes. Notice that God created music as we continue the study. In the book of Isaiah, it's hinted that the Satan himself was the worship leader of heaven before he fell. I don't know if that's true or not. We're inferring from the scripture, but it does fit his strategy, does fit who he is. Let's continue and see what happens now in verses 18 through 21. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And the armor bearer is like right there. He's hand in hand, sleeps next to him, has his stuff ready for him every morning. Before battle, he's preparing him. It's like having the man that packs your parachute. You want to trust this person with everything. The last thing you want is to go into battle and have one of your armor pieces fall off. That's how close David is. Now, I want to switch the focus now from focusing on the enemy to focusing on us. Remember last chapter? God came to Samuel, Samuel and, and told Samuel, I want you to anoint another man. What did Samuel say? If Saul finds out, I'm dead. Now, a few verses later, that very man that would cause all this destruction is going to be closer to Saul than any other person. If Saul knew what happened, David is dead, Samuel is dead, Saul will kill everybody. And yet the Lord is going to not only raise up David in front of Saul, he is going to be Saul's greatest blessing. What are we supposed to do in this world? We are an example of the light being raised up in the midst of this dark time. And people are out there on the Messenger and the Facebook and the CNN and their Fox News and they're at work and they're panicking and they're looking at this darkness. I'm going to die. My neighbors are going to die. My sons are going to die. Everything's going to, every, the whole world's on fire. And yet we're supposed to be like the Lord in the boat. Hey, be still and know that He is God. Cling to Him. This world is passing away and it's going to get worse. And we've gotten way too comfortable as a people. There are enemies out there, but the Lord is going to raise you up before them in peace. The very people that are out there to destroy our way of life, our country, our people, our heritage, even our fellow citizens that are out there to destroy our faith, we are to bless them and love them to be an example to them of peace. Notice David. He's grown now. What do they say about him? They say there in verse 18, look, I've I've seen a son of Jesse, continuing, he said, he's skilled at playing. 
He's a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. They're watching him. He's become a man of renown because of what he does. He's not in, you know, I would imagine you'd have David in front of King Saul trying to sell himself. I'll be the best armor bearer you have. I'm the best armor bearer because of this. I've killed bears. I've killed lions. I do this. You know, a lot of times people in ministry will do that. They have great resumes. It's like, so what? I want to see it. David has shown it in his actions. He's not, he's just doing his job. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. As unto the Lord. What is the difference at the end of verse 18? And the Lord was with him. Is the Lord with you? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you coming to church or are you the church wherever you go? Are you bringing the church to the world or are you escaping the world to come to church? Do people notice a difference in you or are you just joining the chorus of those that are complaining and whining? You know, that's just my mentality. I just want to say, you know, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> we're, we're in a battle. This is a war. We're supposed to be an example. David is an example. David is being guided by God. And here he is in the most dangerous position possible. And God's going to bless him and use him. The most dangerous position possible. What do we like to do, church family? We want to escape the most dangerous position possible, right? As far away from it as possible. Where can I get the most safe, the most comfortable? Where can I run and hide where everything's the way I like it? Breakfast is set the way I like it. My finances are the way I like it. Everything's comfortable. My relationships are good. That's where we want to be. The Lord says, not so, not so. We walk by faith and not by sight those that truly serve him. Like Abraham. God told Abraham, go. I got a place for you to go. Where am I going? Just go. We hate that. We're sheep. We hate the unknown. We despise it. That's exactly where God wants to bring us. Blessing being the armor bearers of those that are trying to persecute us and destroy us. Notice, however, David is a mighty man of valor, a man of war. He's able to go to battle. I'm not, you know, we need to pray for the members of ISIS. They've been deceived by the enemy. We need to pray for these terrorists that they repent. But we need to protect our families. We need to protect those that are being oppressed and persecuted by warfare. Unfortunately, now there there are brothers and sisters in Christ that will disagree with me, and I say I'm not offering my family on the altar. I'm going to protect my family, just as Jesus protected his disciples from the enemy, casting out demons. The rod and the staff shall comfort me, the Bible says. And the authority of the sword has been given to the state in Romans chapter thirteen. But we still need to pray and intercede and do everything we can to bless others before that moment. And David is a great example of that. And Jesus Christ is our ultimate example of that. You know, fathers, the Bible instructs us that we are leaders of our homes. 
You need to be able to protect your home physically and spiritually. There's not a man here, I, I know almost all of you, that if there was a, a force against your family at night, you wouldn't be the one to stand in the door, in the gap, to protect your children, your loved ones. I, I know almost each and every one of you. But men, you're supposed to be the same thing spiritually in your home. And oftentimes spiritually it's like, oh, you know, but I like that rap song. It's all right. It's, it's not that bad. Oh, but I like that movie. It, you know, it's just make-believe. And you're allowing th- spiritual thieves and robbers and murderers into your home. But you would never allow a physical one. Ladies, the same thing is true as you're stewarding your children, as you're supporting your husbands. You're his helper. Encourage him. Strengthen him. Be his armor bearer in this spiritual battle. Be like David. See, we have a helper as well. In John 14, Jesus says, I and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You can't see him. The world doesn't know him, but we know him because he's in us. He's the Holy Spirit, the helper. You know, are we the, are the first ones into the, to the gap or are we just lulling ourselves to sleep? You know, there's, are we easily distracted? I'm easily distracted by just a sound system. Completely lose a train of thought. But the same thing is true for each and every one of us. The second that we leave here, we leave our base camp where we're all being equipped and, and I'm on the road out there, the second I go into traffic and somebody cuts me off, I'm an example to my kids. And I was driving uh, one of my kids yesterday, and we were at a, a, a red light, and it turned green. And the person in front of me wasn't moving, and I'm chewing on my tongue. And all of a sudden from behind me, oh, come on, it's green. I look back there, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> I'm losing, I lost that battle spiritually. And then there's other times, you know, we'll be driving around and then a song comes on the radio and one of the kids starts singing this worship song. Oh, victory, victory. We know that's from above. That's not the flesh. In this battle that we're in, what is your example? Are you like a David or unfortunately, are you being like a Saul? Are you taking ground or are you losing ground this morning? Have you experienced the anointing of God? Have you had a special moving of the Holy Spirit in your life at one time? But things are different now, and you're spiritually dry. The Lord has sent you a helper. Turn to Him. Grab on to Him and don't let go. Have that fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. He will give it to you. And if you have been a David, and you're just wondering, why am I in this fight? Be encouraged. Today is a day where we pass out the ammunition. And we go back into the world and we preach peace and we preach the gospel. And we are an example to the world of the love that God has for each and every one of us in the midst of the darkest evil we've yet seen in this world. And so in verses 22 through 23, we continue. Then Saul sent to Jesse saying, Please, Let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, and David would take a harp and play it 
with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. It's interesting how many times, you know, you, you have a coworker, you have a family member, and they come to you, you know, they ridicule your faith, but then when the moment of trial comes, you're there with a kind word, a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a word from the Lord. You're just like, I didn't know I knew that verse. And they go away and they're so blessed, but they don't repent. That's exactly what's happening here. Every time David's in his midst, he's singing these worship psalms, these songs from God. Saul's refreshed. I don't want you to miss this, however. If Saul knew who David was, he would kill him as a threat. He would kill Samuel as a threat. And yet, isn't that the modus operandi of the Lord, to bring in David to bless Saul? He has a witness before him. And over the next few chapters, we're going to see that Saul will hunt David down to try and stop him. And David will never raise his hand against Saul. Not one time. The opportunity will be there to take advantage, to put himself forth, but he will never raise his hand, as David puts it, against the anointed of the Lord. Even though Saul has lost that anointed, even though he's backslidden, even though the enemy has come against him, he still will not repent and turn to God. And that is exactly what Jesus is teaching each and every one of us today, where you're at. In Matthew chapter 5, But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. These are not easy words, and they require action, not words. From everyone. There are people out there in this world today that are trying to divide our country like never before. They're trying to divide races. They're trying to divide creeds. They're trying to divide on political lines. They're trying to separate us and destroy us when Jesus has unified us by his grace and by his victory on the cross. And we need to be a voice of peace and unification through the gospel of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. For every man and every woman of every race and every creed. He has delivered us from sin. And we have that same authority through the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us to cling more and more to Jesus and less and less to this world. That's the challenge. A, to identify the enemy. B, to remove the enemy from your home. And C, to go out into the world and preach the gospel knowing that there is going to be warfare, there is going to be difficulty. And that's why Paul talks so many times in his epistles as we're going through the pastoral epistles on Wednesday nights. In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he uses the analogy of soldiers at war several times because it requires discipline, patience, peace. So let's pray and go before the Lord and pray that he continues to encourage us and lead us to be an example in these dark times. Lord Jesus, we pray for our nation. We pray for our country. We pray that you would heal our lands and heal hearts. The gospel would go forth, that we would see through the lies that are out there and that we would be encouraged in the faith. Your love 
for your enemies, your love for your children, Lord, your love is just so beyond us. It's from another world, Lord. We pray that you would continue to help us to see spiritual wickedness and darkness that exalts itself, Father, and that you would be glorified in its place. We thank you so much for being the light in this world. When the darkness doesn't comprehend yet, when we were enemies with you, you loved us. Help us to love our enemies as well, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to cleanse our homes and our hearts and to choose you, Lord, and to stand in the gap. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.